0: Welcome to the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and we're rounding up our series on what should you buy. So part four, we're talking about yield versus growth versus both. Are you going to be a capital growth investor? Are you going to chase cash flow? Or do we balance them both together as a property investor to achieve success? To help us with that question today, we're talking to buyer's agent, Darren Venter, who's going to run us through the pros and the cons, and he's going to land on his opinion on what investors should be focusing on as well. Here's Darren. Darren Venter, thank you for joining me again on the podcast. Mike,
1: thank you very much for having me again on the podcast, man. Always a pleasure.
0: You've uh, you've passed the initial round of interviews, and you're you're now into the into the final three. Uh, no, this is the point of this, of course, is that we're going through the investment property uh, purchasing uh, process from start to finish. So we've you know we've talked to people about saving for a deposit, and we've talked about how to spot a spruker and those sorts of things. But uh, I wanted to get you on to talk about the age-old sort of property argument right it's like are you a yield person or are you a growth person and should you be one or the other or a mixture of both and i think it's important because you know it's a it's a big financial decision and picking the wrong direction can put you in a Position where you either have to sell something because the cash flow is such that you can't actually hold on to it, or you're sitting on something that you know may be paying for itself but it's not growing, so the opportunity cost can really whack you. So, that's in in, in that vein. I wanted to get you here today.
1: Yeah, mate, that's nail on the head there. Um, you really do have to get that balance right from the start, and a lot of people. You know, when, you, when you're looking at a property uh, or rather when you're looking at a portfolio because essentially no one buys property to just buy a property and let it go and let that be it. Uh, the whole idea of buying a property is to create a portfolio. and If you can't do that correctly, um, essentially you're doing it, you know, incorrectly by not buying the right assets which are allowing you to grow into the future. So the one of the ways that we actually um, focus any of the purchases that we go on is by treating it like a toolbox where you've got your... toolbox for the tools and then you've got your key which unlocks it and if you picture your toolbox being toolbox being the equity within your portfolio and your cash or your key is basically the the key to actually unlock that toolbox and then use that equity to be able to purchase further on so that balance is right mate you you really do need that balance and uh, if you don't have that balance to go forward and uh, understanding that balance as well because it's you know we hear a lot about buying property, which is cash flow positive and high equity growth and blah, 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 blah. But understanding it is really where that important point comes from and understanding how the banks actually work with it.
0: And I think that understanding is critical to the point that you made that the average person or 72% of people still are only owning one property and there may be some people that that was their life goal to own one but I think most property investors really want to maximize their financial outcome and there's a pretty strong argument to say you can't do it with, with one property and you know you've got a really great story that I, I wanted to, to share on the podcast of one of your clients that really you know it, it kind of it made the the strategy and the importance of understanding a, a bit of a plan of, of of how cash flow serves the investor um very very clear and and i'd love you to share that with the listeners today
1: yeah um well absolutely let's go into first understanding exactly how that actually what the cash actually does for a property so there's two main points what Uh, cash is able to produce for any person who's actually buying property. There's the, obviously it creates the income, which is what we're all trying to retire off. And that's why cash creation from a portfolio, from a property investment is so important. is because, you know, you can retire off cash flow, you can't retire off equity. But Mm. the other side of it is that creating serviceability from the investment of a property is, is probably more so important And a lot of people focus too much on how much cash the property is producing right now, and they don't really take a look at what the actual necessity is to actually grow that portfolio. So if we understand how cash actually grows a portfolio, when you take your salary as a, you know, as a nine to five wage earner Monday to Friday, you're in your office and let's say you earn $80,000. Now, if you buy a property which is producing, let's say, $30,000 gross, The finances basically take 70 to 80% of that income from that property, they add it to your income from your salary, and that is now your new serviceability, which means that the banks will serve you against that new value, and typically speaking, your servicing is around six times your income. Mm -hmm. now that's obviously not considering any debts and personal profiles for anybody but that's basically how they align it so every time you buy a new property and you create a servicing you're able to go higher and higher and higher up in your serviceability from your the property so to the case that you were talking about that client which we helped there uh yeah so dan was a client of ours and we got into a he came to us actually with a cash purchase in mind because he wasn't too serviceable. He was uh, discharged from the military with a compensation and a um, a payment uh, plan. Basically, pulling out a uh, what do you call it when the when the, when you get a payment from a, the military? It's called a pension. A, a pension. There you go. Yeah. So he basically got his, his pension, but he also got his uh, imbursements payout. and uh, we used that to purchase a investment property. But his pension was quite low, so his servicing wasn't that great. So we weren't going to be able to be, you know, get a much, much in a property if we were going to go for the servicing route. So that's why we went the cash route. So we purchased a property for 320K. Um, now this isn't necessarily the right property for everybody, but this was working for him. It wasn't obviously doing as much in the equity return, but the cash flow was what we were trying to target here. So we purchased a 320K property. There were seven bedrooms as a dorm format, each of those bedrooms producing one hundred and fifty dollars a week, which is just north of fifty four thousand dollars ish uh pretty much a year from cash flow. Now if you take that and seventy percent of that and you add it to his pension payout, that is creating a far higher serviceability for Dan. And now we're basically able to use that and, and buy other properties because now the banks will service him way higher.
0: Yep. So yeah, I think it's an important thing to note is that people might say, "Oh, that that seems really strange as a strategy." The first investment property is a seven-bedroom thing. You know, it's not textbook stuff, right? But Definitely. the point of this is that this this chappy he he had a pension that was such that he probably wasn't able to borrow anything at all. Um, you know, no, no, nothing that was sort of within reasonable realm, but you've you've now actually kind of manufactured him a salary in the eyes of the banks that give him a shot at the next property, um, and and that was really the whole cash flow plan on this deal. Absolutely, and and then you
1: hit it, you hit it right there at the end too. Just it was the cash flow plan. Um now that wasn't necessarily the equity plan. You're right. It wasn't the typical product and the typical type of property which would purchase for a new investor getting to the market because it is very much of a abnormal format. But it served him. Uh, and and that's that's the most important thing, is what you need to understand is when you do go into your purchase, you need to understand where your servicing needs to be. Mm-hmm. And if it's sitting at a good point, and if you're able to, you know buy property which is doing higher growth and your servicing is going to allow you to extract equity from that that, uh, property uh, then by all means go for an equity uh, producing property but if you do need that servicing so that you can buy the next property because that tool or the key to unlock the equity into the next purchase is going to be that cash then that's the way you have to go about it and that's what we did for dan
0: yeah, and I think your, your average investor that maybe is, uh, well, let's say less than average and they're, they're looking at their fourth or, or fifth property, mm-hmm. they might hit a similar problem where they actually need a, a cash flow property to dig themselves out if they're wanting to go again and, and, and grow, right? Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and you, don't, you probably don't want to put yourself into the position where you're only accumulating cash flow from a property. Um, you still do need to cr- try and hit that equity belt because equity is essentially the key which allows you to pull cash from a property when it goes up in value yep. um, and you still need to be able to capitalize off that. So if you are going for a cash flow positive property, a high cash flow positive property, it's always more beneficial, obviously, to put it into a high growth market as well. Yes. But you know you don't always have that luxury of choice. But if you're able to, then by all means do it. And the thinking here is that the higher the cash flow of a property, the closer it kind of is aligned to, you know, the amount of bedrooms in a property. If you, if you, Mm -hmm. if you think about it like that, if you have a look at the pretty much the median markets of cash return in any marketplace, you're looking at two bedrooms are yielding way lower uh, than a three bedroom, yielding way lower than a four bedroom, yielding way lower than a five bedroom. Now that's basically the ladder of, how your cash flow goes up with the amount of bedrooms you have in it. If you attach that into a, a high growth market, which is producing equity as well. And if you buy, if you're purchasing properties, which have got higher uh, bedroom counts, you're creating the cash flow from that market, but you're also then getting a bit of equity. Now you're not necessarily getting the full equity because the median market is probably warranting maybe three bedrooms or four bedrooms. And that's for the equity return. Mm-hmm. But, If you're able to get, you know, the five bedrooms into a three-bedroom market, you're off the median for equity return, but you're above the median for cash return. So you're going to get more cash flow out of it, but your equity may not be as high because the demographic's not looking for that particular product.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't mind diving a little bit deeper into that and and I have to just sort of double check cuz of your glorious South African accent. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the median from a from a demographics point of view, right? Cuz if if most people in that say area by four bedroom houses or or that's where the majority of the sales demand is mm. then the seven bedroom one makes that a bit of an unusual property that may not perform as well from a capital growth point of view exactly yeah um so the demand behind
1: growth is you know about how many people want to buy the same type of property and generally, when you're buying an, an investment property, you want to buy that investment property around an area which has got homeowners in it because that makes it a more gentrified area. It makes it a nicer area to live in. Now, you tell me what homes have seven kids, that have seven bedrooms, yeah. not very many. So obviously, for that reason, the demand doesn't sit into that demographic of a seven-bedroom home. It will sit into a three- or four-bedroom home. And that's where you get your market uh, your, sorry, your, your equity um, growth is attached to the types of properties. But the uh, the cash growth is obviously just from the, the bedroom counts.
0: The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Yeah. Now, you, you said that um, you don't requ- retire on equity, you, you retire on cash flow, right? But at the same time, you said that the the cash flow is the keys and the toolbox is the equity, right? So whilst you don't necessarily retire on just equity sitting in a property, but that equity enables you to, to redraw. So like, as much as people listening to this podcast might go, oh, yes, finally, we're going to find out is it growth or yield. You are actually saying both, but depending on the situation, you may actually go up or down. Like if I said to you, Darren, I I want to get involved in property, I've got 50 mil in cash, but I want my first one to be a resi under one5 you might stick me with something that's got a one point nine percent yield, right? And that is not <laughs> a cash flow play. No, it's not. No, um, and if you're talking about price
1: points like that, typically that's a very high net worth earner who's able to put, you know buy a one point whatever mill property, mm-hmm. um, and you know the the cash. Just going back to that toolbox analogy, the the income which you generate from your from your salary. That is that is essentially what allows you to buy the property because you're servicing against it. Um, balancing that into your toolbox, uh, you know, creating basically the cash flow to open that toolbox to pull the equity out of that property which you've purchased, which is now growing up in the market, that allows you to pull that equity out and refinance that into another purchase. Every time you do a purchase of a property and you add a new property to your portfolio, you pretty much have to assess your cash flow and your equity position within that property to see where it's sitting, because you have to balance that on every purchase going forward. There's a lot of uh, talk about creating a three or four, or five or six year plan around purchasing property. To be fair, we find it more valuable to just assess every per- purchase as you go forward, because nobody knows what you're going to be able to do in two years time. COVID came, who knew that? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's literally, you got to pretty much just run the gauntlet as the, as the gladiators hit you and, uh, and, and just play your book and write your book as you play it pretty much. So for us, uh, understanding who our clients is or who, you know, who is investing and what their position on finance looks like from a serviceability point of view, as well as what's inside their portfolio from an equity point of view, and that could be equity from a property. It could be from a portfolio of shares. It could be from, as we all. Fear at the moment, cryptos (laughs) or or love, love or hate, you know, no (laughs) judgment on that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's a bit about basically understanding what that portfolio of yours looks like uh, and where it stands and then just balancing it forward because um, balance is the key.
0: Yeah. 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 There's some absolute gold in there, um, so thank you very much for sharing the wisdom on that. But let's um, let's let's break it down. Like we're condensing stuff in this new format. I, I want your top tips. So we're talking about yield versus cash flow and how to make it work for you. And you know, I love what you talked about a moment ago with you know, paying for a five-year plans. Pointless because what if you lose your job or what if you what if there's a new SARS outbreak or something like that heaven forbid but what give us the give us the top tips mate
1: it is 2022 almost we're probably new due for a new crisis <laughs> um, yeah so I mean top tips uh, let's go with you know the, the, obviously the first indicators that we look for and that a lot of investors do look for is that they look for the vacancy rates shrinking in a market. Now it's all good and fair that you see a vacancy rate shrinking, um, but without validating that uh, and proving why it's actually moving. So prove well, prove the move is what we call it. Um, that allows us to basically make a really good, healthy assumption as to what's going on in that marketplace, not today, but also into the future. Prove the move is all about the actual demographic shifting. So if we know that the vacancy rate is, you know, let's say over the last seven, eight, nine months, it's gone down by a percent. What's the reason for it? You've got to ask the question what the reason for it is. Um, You know, as we see what's happening with COVID, there's a lot of movement that's going on in in Australia where a lot of these regional markets have been shrunk by one and a half, two percent, which is a drastic shrinkage. A lot of those shrinking rates, they look attractive at first glance, but if you don't actually understand why why they're shrinking and what's actually going to hold them, Into a position of demand into the future, you're pretty much, you know, as you said earlier, pissing into the wind. But uh, (laughs) now,
0: now, I'm I'm sometimes lifted to this. I said, I I said, you're, you know, you're fighting blind or something like that. No, (laughs) of course you did.
1: did Um, But yeah, so I mean, if you understand that movement, that movement could be fueled by many different. drivers basically so it's about looking at the drivers which prove the move so is there an economic stimulus which is pushing people into an area is there infrastructure which is creating employment into the area is there a government incentive which is uh, releasing the ability to buy in an area or pushing people into an area yeah um, it's about proving the move and actually seeing how long that prove behind that move is actually going to last for so if we see infrastructure projects in line um it's all good that we see those projects being built for the next two three years but what's the employment after that
0: that's that's a good point yeah
1: yeah um but then also as far as you know um i mean the budget cut the new announcement of the budget cut where we saw the incentive around um dropping uh or uh, rather allowing more of those Uh, retirees to access other investment properties because they're, you know, releasing their finances a little bit more freely. Um, Essentially what they're doing is they're pushing or they're allowing um, retirees to release equity from their properties because they have generally got more equity in their properties than first-home buyers for obvious reasons because Mm -hmm. they've been in the market for so much longer. Um, And what that's doing is it's pushing them into, or allowing them rather, to go into other areas of more affordability. Where they're allowing, they're able to basically live a very generous lifestyle,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where at a way cheaper rate. And, um, so it's allowing people to move into different markets and different areas, which is stimulating those markets and those areas too. Mm. And seeing how long that's going to last for.
0: And there's all sorts of inputs that, that create all sorts of movements in, in the property game, some of them temporary, some not. So uh, that's great advice. I mean, finding those fundamentals that are heading in the direction that you like but being able to actually say, well, that's happening because of X, Y, Z and it's likely to continue or not is absolutely critical stuff. So we're, yeah. we're proving the move. What's uh, your second one?
1: Well, um pretty much understand the demographic demand uh, behind yep. it. Um, so proving the move to see who's, to see what, what is pushing people there, yep. but then actually proving that demographic and uh, buying alongside what the demographic demand is. So if that demographic demand is looking, and this is probably more on an equity side of, of projections and a cash flow side of projections, but the bottom line is that if you're able to rise in growth, you're also generally able to, capitalizing in cash flow as long as you're going into that market at a good yield from the start, because if you enter in a good, at a good yield from the start, your, the growth that you make from that property will grow up in value and your repayments will become less and less and less over the time, yep. which means your yield will become more and more and more because your, you know, obviously your, your rent will go up in time, but also your repayments go down. Yep. Um, so understanding what that demographic demand looks like you know making sure that the people are looking for 3 bedroom houses or 4 bedroom houses rather than you know that 7 bedroom dorm even though like I do boast about that 7 bedroom dorm because it's too good for cash flow doesn't necessarily mean it's for everybody. Yes. But if you are a you know if you're an, an I hate to use the word average investor because I don't think anybody is, is an average investor everybody has a very particular profile but generally speaking people are trying to balance something out inside their portfolio and if you can align your balance with the the price point to enter a market where that price point is serving a demographic demand then essentially you're you're in you're on the right track
0: you're getting you've got keys to an even bigger toolbox that's it I'm just ruining your what was a good metaphor to begin with. <laughs> <watering it down laughs> in the garbage. Look, I, I think um, that, that's awesome advice, uh, Darren. And, and look, this is one of those sort of real estate um, ad infinitum questions that people say. You know, you were a cash flow or you were a growth in- investor. You, you, you've you've pled the case for for both of them and a balance for them depending on the needs of that individual and their portfolio as, a, as an entity as well so I think that there's a lot of balance in there um, so if this is if this is something that's that you've heard as a property investor I'd love for you to share that to other people that are pro one or the other and see if we can uh, see if we can find some common ground you know jump on the the gear for growth Facebook page and, and share your comments as well but Darren uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back for a second time and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon
1: thanks Mike, for having me mates and i uh, will be jumping on that uh, page for sure mates um, <laughs> thank you very much cheers cheers